0: This is the last of the Summer Wine Podcast. to this very first edition of the Last of the Summer Wine podcast. My name is Patrick and I will be your host for this podcast. Uh, This show is basically more or less my tribute to Last of the Summer Wine, the longest running comedy series in the world, which ran on the BBC from 1973 to 2010. I imagine that people listening to this podcast will be very familiar with this series and this podcast is for all fans of the show. However, if there are any listeners who are new to the show, or have probably only watched it once or twice, then please feel free to stick around. With that being said, let's get started. My earliest memories of Last of the Summer Wine must have been when I was around five years old, because I distinctly remember seeing the 1995 episodes transmitted for the first time. And from then on I would just watch the show from time to time whenever it was on, which was usually Sunday nights on BBC One. Uh, But then around the year 2000 I began to watch it a lot more regularly and I actually started to record some of the episodes from that year. Um, And as I became more interested my parents actually bought me the complete first series on VHS. Which was fascinating to see, not only how the show began, but also to have a look at how television was made at that time in 1973. Um, Later that year, 2000, um, when I was on holiday, I actually bought a book called Last of the Summer Wine, The Finest Vintage, and that was like the Bible to me at the time, uh, because it had so much information in it, and I never realised how many episodes had been made up to that point. Actually, it was also on that same holiday that I bought a video containing episodes from Series 5. Deep in the heart of Yorkshire, I think. There goes the ice cream man. Uh, From onwards I was hooked. I bought the videos whenever they were out. I would record several episodes on UK Gold whenever they were on. And one of my main ambitions in life, which was only completed last year, was to actually see every single episode of Last of the Summer Wine Ever Made. In recent years I've bought all the DVDs that have been released and continued to watch the newer episodes whenever they were shown. Then another ambition came true in 2008 when I actually went down to Yorkshire and actually stayed in Holmfur for a holiday weekend. I actually stayed in The White Horse which has been seen in the program many many times. And I also got to visit the main locations of the show, such as the cafe and uh, the houses of Campo and Norabati. And it was a very enjoyable experience. Very enjoyable. I suggest if you've never visited Holmforth, it's a good place to visit. So please check that out. Um, I was actually sad when Summer Wine ended last year, but... I think it it had a good run overall, and it's left a huge back catalogue for many audiences to see. And this is primarily the aim of this podcast, which is hopefully to celebrate all that is Last of the Summer Wine. And what better way to celebrate the show than to look at every single episode ever made, which is primarily my intention with this podcast. So please, stick around. Right, now we move on to the main focus of this podcast, which is a review. And as this is the first episode, it is only fitting to review the pilot episode of Last of the Summer Wine, which is entitled Of Funerals and Fish. The location scenes for this episode actually began filming in the in June 1972, which was, well, 39 years ago. Uh, the interior scenes were then shot at BBC Television Centre in front of a live audience later on. This episode was then first transmitted on Thursday the 4th of January 1973 at 9.25pm on BBC One and it all started from there. This episode marks the very first appearances of the following actors and characters. Michael Bates as Blaymire, Bill Owen as Compo, Peter Salis as Clegg, John Comer as Sid, Jane Freeman as Ivy, Kathy Staff as Mrs. Batty, Blake Butler as Mr. Wainwright, and Rosemary Martin as Mrs. Partridge. take a look at the history and development of Last of the Summer Wine. In 1972, Duncan Wood, who was at that time BBC's head of comedy, had watched a drama on television called The Misfit. Impressed by the writer, Roy Clark's ability to inject comedy into the drama, Wood offered Clark the opportunity to write a sitcom. Clark nearly turned the job down as he felt that the BBC's idea for a program about free old men was a dull concept for a half-hour sitcom. Instead, Clark proposed that the free men should all be unmarried, widowed, or divorced, or either unemployed or retired, leaving them free to roam around like adolescents in the prime of their lives, unfettered and uninhibited. Clark chose the original title, The Last of the Summer Wine, to convey the idea that the characters are not in the autumn of their lives, but the summer, even though it may be the last of the summer. The producers at the BBC hated this at first, and insisted that it remained a working title, while the cast worried that the viewers would forget the name of the show. The working title was then later changed to The Library Mob, a reference to one of the trio's regular haunts early in the show. Clark switched back to his original preference shortly before production began, a title that was shortened to Last of the Summer Wine After the Pilot Show. Around that same time, Barry Took, who had produced a series of ultimately unsuccessful documentaries for the BBC about working men's clubs, was partially responsible for the choice of location for the exterior shots. The programme which drew the highest ratings of the series was focused on Burleigh Workings Men's Club, a club in the small West Yorkshire town of Holmfirth, and Took saw Holmfirth's potential as a backdrop of a television show. Took's idea was then passed to producer and director James Gilbert and Roy Clark via Duncan Wood, who was at that time filming Comedy Playhouse. Gilbert and Clark then travelled to Holmfirth decided to use it as a setting for the pilot of Last of the Summer Wine. Now, for people who have seen nearly every episode of Last of the Summer Wine, will be very familiar with the very first shot in the episode, which is a view of the town of Holmforth from Cliff Lane, and the location has been seen many times throughout the series. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a shot with a long downhill road in the distance. Um, it was the very first shot in the episode, and has turned up many, many times. The episode then begins when two removal men arrive outside Compo's house, where Nora Batty and her neighbours are watching.
1: The second is telly again. God, is it Tuesday already? Hey, your granddad. Know the job of what you do here. So much for night school. Manage steps. We know the steps. <laughs> Why you let me up with a portable? Ain't a lot of bother Hey, <laughs> hey. I's going to be sweaty when I get colour. While you've got it, have a look at that vertical hole. You, i I like oh. oh, you staying, sir, Mrs Betty. Eh? You know, you always get me excited. <laughs> Solly can talk. Filth. Ah, goodness, and with your Harold wrapped up with his pigeons, eh? <laughs> oh, give me a word of encouragement. <laughs> you. Oh, stop floating your laundry and put of me face. It's disgusting. What's the is purgatory? No wonder his missus went off with that pole. lonely? <laughs> He's not lonely. There's a gang of them round at that public library. They've now tells Stu. What does he do when libraries closed we out his telly? Next door says he exposes himself. <laughs> <laughs>
0: One of the things I noticed about this opening scene is the interplay between Compo and Nora. Whilst the character's relationship hasn't been too established yet, it's interesting to see where it starts from. Um, Another interesting fact is that Nora's husband is referred to as Harold at this point. Because we don't see Nora's husband until Series 2, where, as we all know, or older fans will know, that uh, he is named Wally. Wally. But uh, it does make me wonder whether they had intended to introduce the husband of Nora at that point. It's also pointed out that Compo was once married um, and that his wife eventually ran off of a Polish man. Or a Pole, as he is referred to constantly. Um, I don't think Compo's marriage was referenced that much in future episodes, but I think it does get mentioned a few more times. Uh, We then move on to Blaymire's introduction, where he is walking his landlady's dog, where he comes across a young boy, upon when discovering that he has got spots, makes a hasty retreat. He then meets up with Compo, and I think it's fair to say that this scene establishes mainly the class differences between Blaymire and Compo. In fact, I think Blaymire was primarily created as a contrast to Compo's characteristics And I think it pretty much sets up the relationship that Compo would have with future characters in the later parts of the show. Then we are introduced to Clegg, who is riding on his bicycle on his way to a church, catching a ride beside a hearse. And I think it's fair to say also that we see an establishment of Clegg's character, particularly in these early episodes, when he sits down to bench to talk to a vicar. This fella.
1: He picks up this tiny bird in his hands and carries its quivering little body across this busy junction and feeds it to his cat. Life's like that. A complex texture of conflicting moralities. Agreed. So, what are you doing here in your heavenly commissionaire suit? Just for the smoke. Mm. Reckoning on you know what's on to the side. Faith, Clegg, faith. I'm supposed to be stopping, but then on the other hand, it's hardly fitting for me to be seen trying to live forever, is it? (laughs) I'll finish the book. Oh, you know where the others are. How are you keeping? My bowel's playing up a bit. (laughs) God moves in mysterious ways. (laughs)
0: Duty calls. We then find out a bit more about Clegg's background and his marriage status. Um, He is actually at the church to put flowers on his wife's grave, Edith. Now, Edith's tombstone says that she died in 1971, which, as we all know, was the year before this episode was made. Um, I couldn't see what year she was born, it might have been either 1900 or 1920, I'm not 100% sure, but I personally think it might have been 1920, as Peter Salis, who plays Clegg, was born in 1921, and I think it's pretty obvious that both the character and the actor share the same age. Um, we then move on to the scene inside the church. Um, in fact it's established in that scene that both Blaymire Meyer and Clegg have been made redundant recently, Clegg having worked at the co-op
1: emporium. <coughs> Here, you're on consecrated ground. Ah uh, wearing rubber soles. <laughs> 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 yeah, this chapel ain't been used for years. And we all know that feeling. No need to be prejudiced against him, Cyril, just because he looks like someone from Rent-a-Drain. That's true, I've got my feelings, you know. Oh, I do know, I've seen you scratching them. <laughs> You've got to remember, Compo, that Cyril's a Tory. And Tories can't stand it if you're filthy and obscene. That's what the Labour Party's for. They <laughs> fetched me in a car once, Labour Party. Fancy that, having a vote. I mean, you've only got to look at his flathead. Who <laughs> so will they bury then? A fellow from Urbison Street. Where else can you go after Urbison Street? A definitely subnormal flathead. You can see that at school. A lovely bone structure. And that's not the only thing you could see at school. On a clear day, old ragged Bridges here could be grinning at you from all sorts of unsightly places. <laughs> it's not all that flat. Feel here where the bolt goes through. <laughs> Hey, you play your cards right. You could run your fingers through my hair any time. <laughs> like a retarded camel. Hey, just think I ought to bite it in the middle. That might go down where well were Mrs. Batty? I should leave it be. Just naturally messy. <laughs> just look how things have turned out. To think that that used to bully me life out. Did you? Well, he had his velvet suit. You did de- did de- you? Well, my mum wanted to give me a start in life. I think you'd need a 50-yard start in Hardwick Street (laughs) with a velvet suit. Oh, no. You know, I can't wear the Almighty up at all. Oh, I don't believe in him. Except in a moving spirit behind the National Assistance. It's a puzzle. Even old Canon Jameson. Do you believe in old Canon Jameson? Ah, well, you see. He was a complex character. A tyrant one minute, and yet more than democratic in his ways with the choir boys. And that's just a canon, so you've no chance of weighing up God. Well, I believe in him. Dear creeper. I'm interested, but... Your ED was solid, Chapel. You've You've seen. Mm. I know, but despite even that, I'm still interested. Well, what was wrong with Chapel, eh? I felt somehow that it should have more humour, and perhaps a bigger organ. No, I'm not convinced. I mean, for a start. If God's omnipotent, with all that choice available, what could he possibly want with my old woman? <laughs> oh, I just like blind chance working there, not selection. Oh, I know I chose her, but think of. She was a lot younger then, and it were the height of the Depression. Nobody expected our fancy. Well, even if you don't believe in God, he'd take her just for spite. They're <laughs> <laughs> all alike, the bosses. Oh. What do you know, you tatter heathen? I'm entitled to my opinion. And that's exactly an expert opinion, is it? Considering how much experience you've had of either church or full employment. <laughs> it stands to reason God's a boss. Even if you don't believe in him. What is it matter who takes your old woman? You miss them when they've gone. A yeah, the Paul took mine. She was a good wife to you, Clegg. By every definition. She nabbed incessantly. She kept things spotless. You couldn't fault her. You must miss her. Mm. And my job at the Co-op Emporium. Aye. After 31 years niggling at each other, it leaves a hell of a gap. It's like going deaf. Aye. It takes a lot of readjusting. Like this being redundant. She wouldn't have liked me being redundant, eh? (laughs) Still, it's not all bad. There's a lot to think about. There's things we could do. Ah. Could you get my foot out of here for a start? We are also
0: introduced to the library in this episode, which is featured very strongly in these early episodes. We are introduced to the characters of Mr. Wainwright and Mrs. Partridge, who, I suppose when you think about it, are prototype Howard and Marina. Although there does seem to be a bit more than meets the eye when you think about it, um, because we get discussions about Mrs. Partridge's married life, and we also get a little bit of Wainwright's politics and his somewhat left wing views as he calls her husband a filthy Tory swine. We also see little bits of characteristics that continue for Compo and Clegg, um, such as Compo's betting on the horses as he looks at the newspapers in the library. Um, another bit that we get very strongly in these early episodes is Clegg smoking which we didn't see very much of by the end of the 70s, or particularly by the 1980s. Once the trio are kicked out because of Comple's Eating, we then see the cafe for the first time. And we see brief first appearances of Sid and Ivy, who are arguing, and actually don't interact with the other characters very much. We actually see more of their characters later on um, in the first series. After fishing in the river, they find a, what's what I think is called a tiddler fish. They put it in a jar, uh, take it to a pub, where a discussion on the afterlife takes place.
1: Hey, Did you reckon you meet up again, up there afterwards? Afterwards? You know, up there. Ah. There's a treat in store for her then. Halfway through a here, he'll come trotting up in his wellies. <laughs> <laughs> you don't anticipate you're going to get through them gates, do you? Don't matter any road. I don't believe in it. Except you think about it sometimes. Like, will there be Wednesdays when you're dead? Hey, do you reckon angels wear underpants? <laughs> <laughs> Under their overcoats, it never shows on pictures. Yeah. Do you reckon they got parts? <laughs> no. Do you all right? He's a scruffy peasant. They don't need them, do they? There's no mucking about like that. You see, no variety, even in the heavenly chorus. Just rank after rank of sopranos. Not <laughs> <laughs> but it don't even rain, and I like a drop of rain. Choirs will assemble in the canteen on wet afternoons. <laughs> well, you have to believe in something. Ah, that's just your background speaking, cos there's always been a Blaymire in the Armed Forces or W.H. Smith & Sons. <laughs> Armed Forces? Bloody Catering Corps. What do you know of service? Always on the knock? And he hasn't altered much since school. You could hear the rustle of toffee paper at 40 feet, him and dog Eastwood between them. <laughs> you know, the only time I was happy at school was when I was at home dying of something. Of course, he never caught now. <laughs> <laughs> Germs used to stagger back coughing. <laughs> and they say sex instructions new. They should have attended his tutorials round the back at bike shed. <laughs> well, sup up.
0: After spotting Wainwright and Partridge in the car whilst out on the hills, the trio then head back to the library knowing that they won't receive any more trouble. It's interesting when you see Clegg give his thoughts on adultery as guilt and cramp in confined spaces. We also see Compo continuing to scavenge cigarettes from Blaymire and Clegg. The trio then release the Tiddler back into the stream and then head off home. It's interesting watching the final scene that you notice that it's actually raining whilst they're out on location but we only see it through the puddles. Um, So next time you look at the episode take a close look at the puddles and it's also worth noting that on the piece of land outside the library where the final scene takes place um, is now where a co-op is. and In fact the co-op that is now on the land was seen much much later in the series. As a whole all in all I think this was a very decent episode. Um, It's a very good introduction to the characters and I think it's fair to say that the audience would love to know more about them by the end of the episode. Um, This is definitely worth having an episode um, because it isn't actually out on DVD at the moment. It was mysteriously omitted from the series 1 and 2 DVD box set but It has been repeated a couple of times on the UK channel, GOLD, um, but for international fans of the show, um, you can actually find the episode on YouTube if you type in Last of the Summer Wine Pilot in the search bar. So, even though I'm sure most of you have seen it, for those who haven't, please check it out. It's a brilliant episode.
1: I walk with it, Clemson, off the way. Oh, hell. Only to the end of the street, mind does be no good to be seen consorting with the depressed classes. I'll <laughs> well, see you tomorrow. At the library. Ta-da. Cheerio. Ta-da. I don't know, lass. It's a rum, old world. Nonetheless, I uh, think I'll go and get a bit of sausage for me tea.
0: Now next up is the start of what I hope will be a regular feature on the show, and it's something I like to call the Summer Wine Spotlight, in which I take a look at a person who has contributed to the show to a large extent, and what legacy that person has left on the series. This little feature will mostly look at the actors, as well as their characters on the show, but there will be a few non-actors on the show. And the first person we will be looking at this series um, is actually falls into the non-actor category and is James Gilbert. Gilbert, of course, directed the pilot episode and also went on to direct the first series of Summer Wine. Amongst his other work as a producer and a director includes The Frost Report starring David Frost, not only but also starring Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Um, He also worked on the first series of The Two Ronnies as executive producer and uh, Trepper's Day starring Leonard Rossiter and um, it's also worth noting he directed the first series of Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads and after leaving the first series the directing duties for the second series of Whatever Happened to the Likely Lads fell to Bernard Thompson who as we all know directed the second series of Last of the Summer Wine but more on that another time. Gilbert then, of course, later went on to become Head of Light Entertainment at the BBC from 1977 to 1982. There isn't really too much to talk about here, as some of Gilbert's directing will hopefully be discussed in the next edition of the podcast, but uh, in terms of what I've seen of his direction, I think he made great use of the environment of Holmforth, And I think he captured that look of the early 1970s in Britain, particularly in the north of England. And apparently it was whilst directing the film Sunstruck, starring Harry Seacombe, uh, which he filmed out in Australia, um, actually helped him towards adapting to the location filming for the series. It's a shame that he actually didn't direct any more episodes, but I think it's fair to say that he did leave his mark on the series and I think he set the benchmark for what was later to come from directors of the show. You can also see interviews with James Gilbert on a couple of documentaries about Last of the Summer Wine in which he talks about the genesis of the show and a little bit about his work on the show. As we come towards the end of this edition Um, I'd like to talk a bit about um, other areas of summer wine you can find on the internet. There's a couple of forums um, that I'm on. You can find me as PC Stratford on these forums. Uh, There is the Summer Wine Chronicle, which is www.lastofthesummerwine.net. It's a very good website. Please check that out. And uh, another good website with another forum is www.summerwine.net it's a different one from the previous one but it's just as good and there's also a blog series called from the get-go which looks at I suppose popular culture but every Monday they take a look at two episodes of Last of the Summer Wine and they're currently looking at series 3 at the moment and I heartily recommend it Um, You can find that on um, ftgetgo.wordpress.com I will put all these websites links in the show notes um, if you're interested in finding all of these websites. And I also want to talk a little bit about other podcasts that are out there and I strongly recommend these podcasts. There is the Waffle On podcast which takes a look at British television um, made between 1960 and 1999 but they have started to look at American shows as well as movies. Um, I heartily recommend that. There is also the MASH 4077 podcast which looks at the American TV series MASH. Um, If you're a fan of that show please check that out. And I also recommend the Goodies podcast if you're a fan of the comedy BBC show The Goodies Um, so please check that out and um, I'm also a big Doctor Who fan and if there are any Doctor Who fans listening to this podcast who haven't checked out any other podcasts then I recommend the following shows. There's The Flashing Blade podcast the DWO Who cast, Radio Free Scarrow Um, there's many many out there I urge you to check these podcasts out because they are just great to listen to and that's about it for this show Um, I'd like to apologize if this episode has been a bit disjointed and rough but this is my very first podcast and I'm more or less trying to find my feet Um, but um, if if you did enjoy this please come back Um, Next time, I'm going to look at all six episodes of the first series of Last of the Summer Wine. So, if you're interested, then please stick around. You can find us on summerwinepodcast.podbean.com And if you have any feedback at all that you'd like to leave back, whether it be for email or um, audio feedback, please send your emails to summerwinepodcast at gmail.com Uh, Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Bye. You have been listening to the last of the Summer Wine Podcast. Any other audio that appears in this podcast is copyright of its respective owners. Please leave feedback to summerwinepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us at summerwinepodcast.podbean.com.